Let's give it up for the band leading us in worship today. Uh, both services, I feel the sense of a holiday hangover. Uh, let's give it up for the band leading us in worship today. Come on, you realize that this is a dialogue, right? Like, you want to get your money's worth, we've got to have interaction, right? got to have energy. Man, don't come in here and expect boring church. Come on, let's go. Uh, today, we're going to continue our series. We're talking about the five promises of Genesis Metro Church. Today is going to center around community. And, and I know that uh, during this season, uh, before I really get rolling here, it's the Thanksgiving season. And I hope that today you have gratitude in your heart. I know that right now, uh, for our staff, for our elders, for all the people that have been attending Genesis Metro for a very long time, this is probably the highest season of gratitude that I can experience uh, because, you know, it took us 20 years to get to this place, and now we know that we have just begun the real race. And so many exponential opportunities are before us right now, and, and we are so grateful for it. And I want to challenge you to think about the gratitude that's in your heart, that when you wake up in the morning, if you start off without gratitude, if you start off without thanking God, I promise you it will not take long for you to start noticing things that drive you crazy, things that people are doing, things that people aren't doing on your way to work. Now it's like every person is out to get you on the highway. They're cutting you off. It's just you're a little bit more agitated. Then you get to work and someone hasn't turned in the report. And you would say that's a two, but now it's turned into a five. By the time you get all the way back home, now you're at a seven and you're just waiting for your spouse or your child to do something. Then it jumps off to a nine. And I, and I just wonder, if we started the day out with gratitude, would it shape and would it transform the entire day? And I would say to you that you would feel a whole lot better and you would have a greater perspective if you would just start off by saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for giving me this day. Thank you, God. I'm looking forward to the day that you have prepared for me. For better or worse, God, this is your day, and I give it to you. Man, if you started your day like that tomorrow, why don't you, why don't you start your day like that tomorrow, okay? And then you tell me. Just send me a text, you know, put it on my Instagram, whatever you want to do, and uh, just let me know how that goes for you. But one of the things that I'm thankful for is that I have community at Genesis Metro Church, and we create community. We want you to walk in to community. We want it to start, and I, I feel like we're going to have to have like a, a temperature that we don't send our parking lot guys out because today, and this morning, it was cold, you know, and they're out there and I'm sure the windshield's like sub 35, 33, and I just feel bad for them. But man, can we give it up for the parking lot guys? I feel like I feel like the parking lot guys, like under their breath, are like looking at the door greeters. They're standing there in the warm weather in there, you know, oh, coffee bar, that's tough. Like, come out here and stand in the parking lot when it's cold, then come talk to me. I just feel like there's a little bit of that, but I don't know. I've never, they've never said it to me. I just feel like it's there. It's just, uh, you know. Anyway, I should move on. Um, so when it comes to community, I wanted to, to define it, but I want you to ask yourself during this sermon do you have a value for it? And then is it expressed 
in how you live? Like, is it expressed in your time? Is it expressed in how you arrange your schedule? Is it, is it expressed whenever there's competing things that are in your life, that community wins out? Um, and so, so as you look at what the Scriptures say today, and, and we're going to go high level, so we're going to go really wide and look at some examples in Scriptures of community, but I think that you won't be able to escape that God wants community in your life. At Genesis Metro, we create that through life groups and through serving teams. And so we believe that everyone is called to be part of a local New Testament church and that we express our obedience to God by serving Him His way, which He chose the vehicle of the church. And so we as pastors and as the leadership of Genesis Metro have to create opportunities for you to be able to plug into God's system of reaching a lost world with the only message the only message that has the power to save. And so that's what, that's what our job is, and we want to invite you into that journey. So if we were going to define community, why would you need it, and do you have it? We're going to go through five questions to, to be our starters, our, our appetizers, and then we'll get into the message. Um, number one, when you're going to join a community is, where are you going? right? If, if you were going to join the Genesis Metro community, or if you were going to join any community, you'd want to know, where are you going? Is there, is there a vision that I can identify with? And at Genesis Metro, obviously, we measure success by life change in response to God's Word, that that, that is the vision, that your life would be altered and transformed, that it would be at its highest potential of accomplishment and purpose as a result of you conforming to the image of God's Word, that you would be more like Christ in your relationships, more like Christ in your workplace, more like Christ in your neighborhood. That is the vision, and that that vision would lead to the salvation of lost souls. And so what is the vision? You want to know what the vision is. Where are we going? And you've been in groups where you did not know where you were going. I've been in cars with people that we were traveling for hours, and then I realized they did not know where we were going. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever been on a team and it became apparent like after two or three meetings that no one knew where we are going, all right? You have to have a vision that you can identify with. Number two, can I count on you? Can I count on you? You know, you can't have community with people that you can't count on. And this kind of count on, because we're going to differentiate uh, two different types, um, is their ability to show up, right? Because um, like everyone in here that's coached a team um, for your children, can you, can you raise your hand if you've ever coached a team in here? I'm sure most of you had. I mean, we're, we're Frisco, we're helicopter, we're there at everything, right? And so, you know, everybody, I always coached. I was the coach, Three of my boys, always the coach. Every, every sport, all the things, right? And, you know, everybody says that they're bought in. Everybody says, but like when you're out of town one week and you ask someone else to oversee the practice, what happens? What, oh, I'm busy. I'm busy. Like, they'll say like, oh, whatever you need, whatever you need, whatever you need. And then it's like, okay, this is what I need. Oh, well, I can't. You know, I got the things. and all that. So like, have you ever been a part of a community where people don't show up, Right? 
you, you, you have to be present in order for community to occur. I went out and I researched this topic, and the number one Google search on the key components to community was some weird site. Uh, I don't remember the name of it, but they had an astounding, I mean, like life-altering truth. They said uh, the number one component of community is that you have to have a group of people. And I was like, So this person wrote this thinking there's someone out there that thought that they were having community in isolation, right? And I was like, okay. But then I thought, I preached to some of these people that believe that. Yeah. So you have to show up. Like you have to be there. Number three, are we in this together? You know, every community wants to know is there shared sacrifice, right? If I'm going to do this and I'm going to make this time, energy, money, whatever commitment, are you willing to do that as well. Because if we don't have shared sacrifice, I'm certain that you've been on a team in which you realized that you were in this office environment and you were both doing the same job, but you weren't doing the same amount of work, but you were getting paid the same. Does anybody ever, has anybody ever had that happen? And you were wondering, like, I feel like I'm doing a lot more than that person, but we're getting paid the same amount. You see, whenever there's not shared sacrifice, at some point, there's going to be a, a level of criticism slash um, the this, this spirit where you're critiquing or you're, you're even like, maybe even starting to grow bitterness in your heart because you're like, it's fundamentally not fair. And so we have to have shared sacrifice inside of community. Um, number four, do we agree on what are the most important values? Do we agree upon what is most important? Uh, this speaks to, rather, our values. So uh, <clears throat> consider this. If you were a corporation and you said you have three values, uh, let's say that you had number one value was the customer, okay? Number two value was the shareholder, the people that were investing in your company. And number three was your employees, okay? Not in any particular order, say these are the three values, but you'll find out what is most important when these things are competing with one another, right? Because if they're in competition, you have to know what is the top part of it. What is, what is the number one thing that if these things are in competition, because we're going to see in our text that in Christianity and religious circles, sometimes values come into competition with one another. And in a, in a community, we have to have it established. What are we going to value more than anything else? And I can tell you that we are going to value more than anything else someone that accepts Christ as their Savior and is saved for all of eternity. There's nothing we are ever going to value in this church more than the lost person coming to know Christ. And then we're going to value the next generation always, forever and ever. We're going to value the next generation of people that are walking through the doors, both in timelines so the next person, and then age-wise, we're going to value that next generation, that young adults, the young people, the teenagers. We're going to value them. We want them to accept Christ because we believe there's a lost generation out there, then they don't know the truth. They don't have an anchor for their soul. And so we have to reach them while they are young. Man, that is, that is the vision. That's going to be number one on our priority list. And then number five, we're going to say, is it worth it? So like, in every community that you've ever been part of, at some point you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? And I think that when it comes to church, 
there's a constant calculation that's going on, right? Because I think by the fact that you're here, on some level, you said church is worth it because you got up after a long, you know, uh, Thanksgiving break week. You maybe some of you traveled. You went out of town. You were tired. You know you got to go to work tomorrow, and yet you said, even though it's so cold and you could just watch from home, uh, that it's better for us to get up and go down there and check our kids in, get everybody dressed, get everybody out the door, and, and it's better for us to be down there. So you made a calculation that being here was worth the hassle, was worth the sacrifice, was worth whatever it is that you had to go through, however far you had to drive. And so every community has to ask themselves, is it worth it? And I think that for most Christians in here, we've said that church is worth it. Now, the competition comes in, right, when, when it's not convenient or when you are tired or when you did stay up late or whatever, somebody, something starts competing, you know, like the schedule starts cha- like you have to say, is it worth it? And, and if it's worth it, then you rearrange other things to make this thing happen versus being willing to let this thing slide so that those other things can happen. And I want to encourage you that church should learn, you should, you should try to make it a non negotiable. That you would say that worshiping God in His house is worth it. Whatever we got to change, whatever we got to sacrifice, we should make worship worth it. And so, I'm not saying that you won't ever have times where you're out of town or times where there's special things, and we're not over here like keeping track, and we don't give gold stars for perfect attendance. But anyway, I hope that you would say that Jesus started the first small group. He created community everywhere he went. And if Jesus created community, then community is worth it. And that's going to be our first point that we talk about today. I wanted you to see some examples from Jesus himself about how he created community. Number one, uh, we must see people. In Luke chapter 19, there was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Now, if you grew up in church, you know who I'm talking about. Tell me who I'm talking about. Zacchaeus, right? I challenge you to spell the name Zacchaeus. It has an extra C, very weird. So it's really like Zacchaeus, okay? And so it says that Jesus was walking through a crowd, and as he was walking through this crowd, a dude was up in a tree. Now I want you to just imagine that you were at a parade, okay, and you were like the guest of honor, like everyone was there to see you. What are the odds that you're going to be walking through this town and like see a guy up in a tree and think like, that's the one I need to talk to? Is anybody like, you know what I'm saying, like a tree guy? You're not going to talk to the tree guy, right? There's like some people you just kind of like, no, I don't think I need to talk to that guy. It looks a little crazy. He's up in a tree. Anyway, and so Jesus has this ability to see people, right? Even in the midst of the crowd, he can see people. And Jesus was a community creator, a culture creator. Man, he was always creating opportunities for change. And what did he say to Zacchaeus? He said, I'm coming to your house, and I'd like to have a meal. I'd like to have lunch, dinner, whatever you want to say. But Jesus wanted to create a community opportunity. And even though he's God, he he has the ability to care. And so many of us, we walk through a crowd and we don't see people. How are you ever going to have community if you yourself aren't willing to see people? When you're at your work, I guarantee you, 
If you don't see anyone and you're the boss, you're the manager, you're the owner, but you don't ever see people, I will guarantee you those people, their loyalty to you is going to be very low. But just one time, if you take off the boss hat and you see someone and say, hey, I just want to say, how's it going? How are you doing? Is everything all right? I just noticed, like, you seem like you were a little down this week. And they're going to be like, oh, you know, this happened, this happened. The value of every training that you're ever going to do for that person compared to caring about them as a human, which one do you think will lead to them being a higher productive person? Is that you saw them. At Genesis Metro, when you walk through the doors, we want to know, we want you to know that we see you, that God sees you. Every sermon that we preach, I want it to be a sermon that you walk away going, man, I felt like he was talking just to me because God sees you. Even in the midst of a crowd of a hundred, thousands, God sees you and he cares. So if God saw us and cared, shouldn't we see others and care? Number two, not only did Jesus see people, um, it says that Jesus, like we were talking about in the values of community above, that he showed up. We must show up. Now, this is interesting to me. Uh, Jesus showed up at weddings. He showed up at funerals. He showed up at festivals. He showed up at religious holidays. And you would think that if, that if you were God, right, and you were coming from heaven to earth, and you like enrobed yourself, and you were born of a virgin, and then like all this crazy stuff happened, and then you only had three years to change the world. Would you, would you make time for a wedding? That's like, you're not even related to these people, right? Like, you, would you make time for like a funeral? Like, I mean, because like technically he's already dead. So, you know, anyway, I mean, think about all the things that Jesus attended that you, you could say like, you know, he could have easily said, you know, I'm God and I'm kind of busy. Um, you know, I'm doing a lot of other things. I'm healing people. So why would he take time? And I started thinking about that. And I think I'm looking, that, I'm looking at that through a lens of our modern era. Do you think that it's possible that you're more busy than Jesus? Do you think that's possible? Do you think that when you look at your schedule, do you ever find that you have an overwhelming amount of things to do and not enough time to do them And at the cost of Christian community, you prioritize these other things in your life. And sometimes we get so many things on our schedule that we don't have time for community. And and that's all well and good until the day that it isn't. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to pastor people that got into a situation where they needed community and they didn't have it. And I know that we have to go out there and make money to provide for our families. But if you make money at the cost of your marriage, it starts off saying, I'm going to provide for my family. And then the very family that you tried to provide for, you didn't make time for. And then it costs, you see, it's very tricky, right? There has to be balance. And I think it's inside of community, inside of Christian community, that we have this voice that allows us to understand where the balance is. We must show up. Jesus was willing to show up at these things. As a matter of fact, the first miracle that Jesus performed was at a wedding. Do you guys remember what he did? What did he do? He turned the water into wine. 
for all of my non-wine drinkers. Take that, okay? I mean, consider that in order to have community, we have to contribute, right? We have to add value when we show up. Jesus shows up to a wedding that he didn't have to go to, and he sees that there's a problem, and the problem is they have run out of wine. Now, if ever there was like a God that you can get on board with, right? Like, he, he assesses the situation. Now, this isn't like someone who's blind, who's now able to see. This isn't a deaf person. This isn't a parallel. Like, you understand what I'm saying? This is just people have run out of wine, and Jesus cares about this, okay? And so, I wanted to ask you this question. How can you say you value community if you have nothing to contribute or you refuse to contribute? Like, here's the question. What do you bring to the party? When, when you come to my party, what are you bringing to the party? Imagine you went to a life group and you never said anything. You never, matter of fact, let's just say you didn't even show up to a life group. What are, if, if you never contribute, how can you say you value that, right? In order for you to say you value it, you have to bring something to the table. Jesus brought wine to a wedding that was out because he was creating the experience. He saw the deficit and he wanted to meet the need. If we value community, we have to look around and say, what is it that people need from me? And so sometimes it's not about you receiving, sometimes it's about you giving. And if you're not healthy enough spiritually, then how will you have something to give? And so I want you to begin thinking, like ask yourself, how many hours a week are you contributing to Christian community? Are you healthy enough to contribute to Christian community? Are your priorities giving you opportunities so that you can contribute in Christian community? And if not, if not, are there things that you might need to change? Are there, are there situations that, that are taxing you that are optional? Because if you're choosing, then let Christian community rise to the top and have those people in your lives. Because when the marriage goes south, or the money goes south, or your children go south, or you suffer an incredible loss, you're going to need community in your life. The main text we're going to look at today is in John chapter 5. So we've looked at Jesus and how He did community. I want us to see an example of Jesus living it out. It says that there was a festival, and I don't have time to read the first two verses, but there was a festival. Jesus was at a party, okay? And here there was this place called the Pool of Bethesda, and there was a great number of disabled people who used to lie there, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Now, there was a, a tradition, maybe a myth, maybe reality, um, but it was that when the the waters were disturbed. Whoever got in first was healed. He said, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, I just like it. Sometimes Jesus doesn't even going to mess around with the pleasantries of like, like what he's doing. He's just like, hey, just get up, you know. 
Um, I wish I could do that. I wish I had that power. Um, that's just amazing. It says that once the man was cured. Wow. You mean that life change could happen instantaneously when you come into contact with Jesus? That sounds good. That sounds like something worth showing up for. Um, so anyway, it says that here, now, now this is just for me, uh, so it may not be for you, but this all took place on the Sabbath. And this kind of goes back to what we talked about last week, but I just have to get this out here. It says, so the Jewish leaders, so the Pharisees, said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Now, what should this say, right? They're upset at this man because it was considered work and you weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath that he had rolled up his mat and was carrying it. Shouldn't this conversation have gone like this? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Aren't you that guy that's been laying over there for 38 years? How in the, what, how are you healed? There was this guy. He came along. He's like, get up. Like, do you want to get up? And then I, he healed me. And then they would start high-fiving him and celebrating like he scored a touchdown like the Cowboys did so many times on Thanksgiving. How is it, talk about community that has shared values, how is it that they were more concerned about the mat that he was carrying than he had been healed from something he had been suffering from for 38 years? My gosh, what are you focusing on? Remember that gratitude thing we were talking about? Did you walk in here today grateful? Did you walk in here grateful that you're healed? Are you focusing on the mat that someone else is carrying? See, it's so easy to get caught up in the trivial and we miss the eternal. Let's talk about this story real quick. Number one, Jesus asked this question. I'll ask it to you today. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Just a simple question. Do you want to get well? Let me ask it again for the people in the back. Do you want to get well? See, why does he ask that question? The guy has been there for how many years? 38 years. And at some point, you have to ask yourself, did he have community? It appears that he had community. There were a bunch of people around him. The question is, did he have the right community? Because it said that every time that the waters were stirred, what happened? Someone else got in first. So he had community. He just had a community that had a me-first mindset, right? And if you have a community and you have the wrong community, they care more about themselves than they care about you. And would you say that that's good community? Would you say that's the right? No, it's the wrong community. He said, do you want to get well? Now, in 38 years, this guy, he said, I have no one to help me. He's correct. But in 38 years, do you think that he could have come up with a better plan? Like, does anybody, anybody see this? Like, he couldn't have, like, got a couple of people, said, hey, when the waters are stirred, just shove me. I don't care. Just shove me. Because, you know, they're like, well, you can't move, so, like, you'll drive. Anyway, just shove me. Just get me in there. Like, 38 years, he hasn't built one relationship that cares more about him than they do about themselves. And sometimes I would like to ask you this question, oh, gosh, do you want to get well? Because I hear you saying that you want to get well. But what are you doing? 
Like, what are you, like, if the thing hasn't changed that you've been fighting about for 10 years, 15 years, 40 years, if that thing hasn't changed that you said you'd like to change, then do you really want to get well? Are you putting the things in place for a change to occur? Or are you going to sit down in the wrong community and they all suffered from the same maladies as him and there's, I guess, comfort in being around people that are doing the same things that aren't moving towards healing, that aren't moving towards change, that aren't moving towards transformation? Are you going to sit down inside the wrong community and say, well, everyone else is, is doing terrible around me too, and so therefore, I guess my life is just supposed to be this way. Can I say from the top rope, no, there's a better life and it starts with you coming in contact with Jesus. You see, the wrong community, the wrong community can never heal your hurts. There's no one there in that crowd that could help him. Who could help him? Jesus, right? Jesus could help him. Jesus could do for him what he could not do for himself, what no one would do for him or around him. And so when you walk in here, we want you to experience Jesus. It's just that simple. See, the right community knows that Jesus is the answer. In Luke chapter 5, there is a, a, an equal opposite to this. In Luke chapter 5, there was a paralyzed guy, and he had four friends that were willing to carry him. Now see, this guy in the pool of Bethesda, he didn't have anybody to carry him. It's terrible if you walked into here today and if something goes wrong in your life, if your person has no one there to carry, man, that'd be rough. But in Luke chapter 5, it says there was a paralyzed guy and he had four friends. And we're going to like, look at the contrast between wrong community and right community. And they were willing to carry him. And they carried him all the way to this house. And it says there were so many people in the house because when, man, when Jesus is in the house, there's always going to be a crowd. Just, just know that. Jesus will draw people to him. So anyway, like why is there a crowd in here today? Because we preach Jesus. That's why there's a crowd in here today. Like when you walked in here, you're like, man, there's something different about this place. Yeah, it's because Jesus is in this place. You say, well, isn't Jesus in every church? I, I don't know. I don't know. They get to this house, it's so packed that they can't get through the door, right? And so they got to go up on the roof and rip the roof open, and they start lowering this guy down. And I just want you to imagine being at Live Group this week, right? And you're just sharing, you know, just doing, a, you know, and all of a sudden, like, a hole gets ripped in the roof of your house, and a little dude on a stretcher with four strangers that you don't know gets just look like do you ever think about like the reality of the bible do you ever think about this like that's crazy right because like if i'm the homeowner i'm gonna be honest with you i'm so stingy i'd be like what are you doing what are you doing i would i would get in trouble jesus would rebuke me right and so jesus says as they were lowering him he says seeing their faith not just the paralytic's faith but the faith of the friends seeing their faith he said your sins are forgiven now the Pharisees, the same people that were upset with this other guy for being healed, they don't ever miss a chance to miss a chance. They're like, who is this guy that says he can forgive sin? Who, who, who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sin. He's God, right? 
And he said, if you think it's easier for me to say, rise and walk, than to say that your sins are forgiven, just so you know that I have the power to forgive sin, pick up your mat and walk. And the guy picks up his mat. I'm sure they were upset on that day, too. He's like, look at this guy. He's carrying his mat. Jesus has got all these people carrying mats. Anyway, and so the right community is willing to carry you as far as you need in order for you to experience life change. Man, do you have that community in your life? Do you have the people that are willing to carry you as far as you need to be carried, that they love you that much? The right community will be creative when there are obstacles. Man, I can't tell you how Genesis Metro has had to be creative over the last three and a half years. You wouldn't even believe, right? The greatest challenge to the church in the modern millennia was COVID. And we had to decide how much do we value community? How are we going to still express community when you won't allow us to meet? And so we had to meet all of these needs in very different ways. But at the same time, the DNA was already there. We didn't have to create something new. We just had to express the same in a different way. At Genesis Metro, we are going to be as creative as we can possibly be in order for your family to get to Christ. If we got to rip the roof open, we're willing to do whatever it takes to save a soul. And I just want to ask you, how creative are you when it comes to getting people involved in community? Man, I, I just want to encourage you. There's so many ways to trick people into coming to church. You just gotta, you just gotta really think it through, okay? You know, like, hey, you know, would you like to come over for dinner on Tuesday? Oh, yeah, okay, great. Well, oh, by the way, it's gonna be um, a life group with some of our friends, and so you know, you just oh, like, see, it's the bait and switch. It works. It works. Like, hey, our kids, we go to this program, and they love it. They're just talking about, you know, the different truths that they've learned, how it's encouraged their lives, how that they find other kids that are in same places and same environments, and, like, it really has been a positive force on their lives. Oh, yeah, where's this at? It's on Sundays at Genesis Metro Church. Man, it'll change your kid's life. I mean, there's so many ways to be creative, but if you don't care enough about people then when you hit the obstacle, you quit. And I believe your soul is worth us being creative. And if we want to be community creators, we have to be creative. The right community knows this answer, that all we have to do is get them to Jesus. See, that's what the friends knew. They said, well, we can't fix it. We can't heal him. We can't help him. What can we do? We can carry him. We can be creative, and we can get him to Jesus. And every Sunday, we're going to give you an opportunity to bring people to Jesus. Every life group, there's going to be an opportunity to bring people to Jesus. Every time we're serving together, we have the opportunity to bring people closer to Jesus. And you can, be, you can guarantee that when you invite a friend, and they're going to walk in here on a Sunday, at some juncture in the sermon, they're going to hear about Jesus the one that can save, the one that can heal, the one that can redeem. So if community takes all of these things, we have to start asking ourselves, are we in the wrong community or are we in the right community? Are we doing wrong community or are we doing right community? What are we going to be, able, be willing to sacrifice in order to get into right community? See, he had four someones. I'm going to wrap up this message with, we all need someone right? 
We all need someone. Whenever we think about different stories in the Bible, uh, there's so many community aspects. As a matter of fact, I was trying to nerd out in my in my mind and think of all the times that people were alone versus all the times that God instructed people to go with someone. And one particular story, uh, Moses, whenever he was going up on the mountain to intercede for Joshua, who was fighting the, ba- the battle down below, it says that he took Aaron, um, his brother, and her, his friend, up on the mountaintop. And a very interesting story, right? Because it says that when Moses would lift his hands up on top of the mountain, that the battle would go for the Israelites. Joshua was winning whenever Moses' hands were raised, but he would grow weary. And whenever he would grow weary and his hands would come down, they would begin losing the battle down in the valley. So if he had gone alone, right, he would not have had the strength for the people to win down in the valley. But because he valued community and he knew that his strength was not enough, he took two brothers with him on top of the mountain. They put a stone under him for him to have a seat, and then they begin to hold up his hands whenever he grew weary. So we need someone who's willing to hold up our hands when we grow weary. There's going to be a day that you are too tired. There's going to be a day when your strength is not enough. We need also someone who's willing to sympathize with us whenever we feel like the whole world is coming against us. You ever had a day like that? Just bob your head up and down. Anyone have a day like that this week? Man, sometimes holidays are the hardest. There was a day in David's life, King David, before he was King David, the prequel. He's killed Goliath, and now he's essentially routed Saul, the king. His his biggest enemy was the Philistines. So he's cleared the path for Saul to have complete and total domination of his region, ultimate sovereignty. Now David, outside of being a mighty man who slew a giant, killed a bear and a lion, was also a harp player. Man, like, do you know any harp playing dudes? Like, I just want you to imagine that you are a Renaissance man. If you go out and kill a lion, slingshot a 10-foot-tall dude, chop off his head like Braveheart, Gladiator, both in one, and then on the side, you're like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> like, what kind of dude was this, right? What kind of farm was Jesse running out there? I don't know. You know just saying. As he's playing the harp one day for his king, all of a sudden, a spear gets chucked at his head. Like, The guy that he elevated to his most powerful position is now trying to take him out. Why? Hey, jealousy. And so, what do you do when you feel like, I worked so hard to get here and to help this person, help these people, and now it seems like they're turning on me. And God provided Jonathan, right? And Jonathan, the son of the king who was trying to kill David, is now there to commiserate with David. God will always give you the community that you need so that you know that you're not alone. Not only does he provide the community that we need, it says that there's another story where David was in a battle. Talk about the community that we need. We need someone who's willing to protect us in our moments of weakness. In all the battles that David ever fought, The Bible says that only one time was he exposed. 
It says that he grew weary and that there was this guy named like uh, Ishbi Binob or something like that, okay? It was a funny name. It would be a terrible name for a guy to kill you. You know, like, who'd you get killed by? Oh, Ishbi Binob got me, you know? <laughs> like, you were able to take on Goliath. We, like, hear Goliath. We're like, yeah! Here, Ishbi Binob is like some loser got me, you know? <laughs> so it says that he grew weary, and, and this guy saw him. The enemy saw his weakness, and then he went to strike David down. And look at this verse. There's a guy named Abishai. And Abishai was one of David's closest friends. And it says, he saw his leader's weakness, and he intervened in his moment of weakness, and he slew Ishbi Binab. So I want you to ask yourself, for all my strong people in the room, because like, right, we're Frisco strong. You know, we live in the big house. We drive the nice car. Our kids are all just good looking. So you start to feel like, right? Every time you go out to battle, you're going to be strong enough. Like every time, like we'll figure it out. We always do. We always have. And that had been David's story in battle every day until this day. And what if he had not surrounded himself with men who cared more about their leader than they did about themselves? What if he had not invested in community? On that day when he was weak, on that day when he was exposed, he would have had no one there to help him. I just want to give you a warning. I know that you've been strong, and maybe you've been strong all your, night, all your life, and maybe you've won every major battle that you've ever fought, and maybe you've ascended all the way to the top of your food chain. But I promise you, there will come a day when you are not strong enough. There will come a day when you become weak. And in that day, I think we need the right community in our lives. At Genesis Metro, we want to be that for you. But we also want you to understand that we're counting on you to reciprocate that in other people's lives. Now, if you're at this church and you're in community and we don't show up for you, go find another church because we, we failed. But if we do show up for you, and you do see that this is real, then all I'm asking is, regardless of your personality and your proclivities, regardless of what's convenient and what's comfortable for you, I think as followers of Christ, we have to be willing to show up for other people, to see other people, to carry other people when they can't carry on. And I think that that's what Christian community is all about. Now, in closing... I will say that there are some distinctions between Christian community and any community. We have to have a code. We have to be governed by timeless truth, right? It can't just be whatever you think is right, whatever I think is right. It has to be what God says is right. So there has to be a timeless truth that governs us. Number two, we have to be motivated by love. It can't be about who's carrying the mat, all right? And I've been in churches where they cared more about what people look like, what they had on, what they were dressed than they did about the condition of their soul. That's wrong. We should be motivated by love. We should be open to correction and critique. Now, here is where I have found the rubber meets the road in community. Because I have found that everyone that walks through these doors, they are looking for community on some level. 
and they want that community, and they want all the stuff I just talked about. Like if you're in a ditch, you want to know, is someone going to come pick me up, help me out? If, my, if someone dies, is there going to be someone that brings a casserole, right? These are important questions, okay? So we want all the community parts where someone shows up for us in our moment of need. But what happens when they say, hey, it looks like you're out of bounds on this area of your life and that you're living in a way that is not in unison with what God's Word says. Like if, if you're treating your husband with disrespect or you're treating your wife with contempt and you're not aiming your children the way they should go, you're being passive in your parenting or your finances, it's just about like how much more can you gather and there's no sacrifice. Uh, wh whatever it is, when your community holds you accountable or challenges you in some area, you know what? That's when I found that people run. They want the community that serves them. They do not want the community that challenges them. Can I just say to you, how will you ever grow without accountability? I promise you, in your marriage, it will never grow. If, you know, I'm not saying like you look at your wife and like, I'm going to hold you accountable, right? Husbands, that will not work. That's the equivalent of saying, have you ever said to your wife, hey, calm down? Has anybody ever said that? It seems to have the opposite effect. I don't know if anybody's noticed this. Like, hey, calm down. What are you saying? <laughs> I meant get angry. Yeah. Wait. Anyway, I digress. So when it comes to being held accountable, I would just say it has to be done in love, but if you're never being challenged, you're never going to grow, and then things are going to stay the same. So if you want transformation, you have to invite it into your life. Don't wait for it to come un unwelcomed because that's when you got to show up to someone's house and say, hey, you know, your wife told us that she's leaving you. It's over. And every husband that I ever meet in these situations are like, oh, what do I need to do? What do I need? No, it's already done. It's already done. You see? That's uninvited accountability. But if you would have said, hey, hey, bro, if you ever see me doing something, that I don't need to be doing in my life, would you please tell me? Would you speak that into me? If you invite accountability in your life, then all of a sudden we can avoid some of those terrible days. Last one, we have to offer added value. That's our code, is that we're going to add value, that your life is going to be better as a result of being in community at Genesis Metro. That is a guarantee that we're going to preach God's Word, and we know that God's Word is going to work. And as a result of God's Word working in you, your life is going to improve. You're going to be able to have joy. You're going to have purpose. You're going to have meaning. You're going to be able to love better. You're going to be able to have more forgiveness. You have more patience. So tomorrow, we're going to start the day with gratitude. And my other challenge for you is that we're going to learn to be open to community. So, my challenge that I did not give the first service, I thought about it between service, the social psychologist in me, before you leave here, you're going to look down the row and you're going to go talk to somebody. And if you're really crazy, you're going to say, hey, let's grab lunch or dinner sometime as a family. Let's watch this experiment play itself out, okay? <laughs> challenge extended, all right? Let me pray for you. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would break these hard hearts 
of people that are so callous that they would never want to talk to anyone. Anyway, God, I pray that you would help us, God, in community. I know it's not comfortable, and I certainly know it's not convenient, but if Jesus made time for people, that Jesus showed up for people, that Jesus saw people, that certainly if we want to be like Jesus, we have to have community in our lives. We ask these things in your name, and the church said, amen. Would you stand and worship with us?